Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Style That Finds Us podcast. We are very excited to have Mindy Shire on our show today. She is the founder of the Runway of Dreams Foundation, and she has a talent agency called Gamut Management. Prior to launching her nonprofit, Mindy spent over 20 years working in the fashion industry as a key member of the design team for the INC collection, and she was a stylist for Saks Fifth Avenue in New York City. Thank you so much, Mindy, for being here. Thank you. I'm so excited to be on the podcast. Really looking forward to it. I know. Well, we have watched your CFDA panels. We have gotten all involved in Runway of Dreams. <laughs> so <laughs> we are really excited to talk to you today. So for those who aren't aware in our audience, do you want to tell us about Gamut Management and Runway of Dreams? Absolutely. So as you mentioned, I am a fashion designer by trade. I'm also the mom of three kids. My middle child, Oliver, was born with a rare form of muscular dystrophy that my husband and I kind of realized early on that he was going to struggle with everyday tasks, one of which is the very thing I love more than anything, and that's getting dressed every day and thinking about what I'm going to wear and how I'm presenting myself to the world, et cetera. And Oliver um, was very limited in what he could wear in terms of when he was of school age, he wore sweatpants every day because he struggled with being able to do buttons and zippers and putting um, his pants over his leg braces, et cetera. So when he was eight years old, he came home from school and said, mom, I, I wanna wear jeans like everybody else gets to wear. And I don't really understand why I have never worn anything except for sweatpants. And it was truly a, a kick in the stomach moment, not only as somebody who is so embedded in the fashion industry, but also as a mom that I missed it, that I completely didn't think about how clothing was important to him, even mm -hmm. from an eight-year-old perspective, that he mm -hmm. did very much care about how he was dressing and wanted to be just like the other kids. So that night I ripped apart a pair of his jeans and put them back together with some creative stitching and Velcro. And the next morning it was really the first time he was ever able to independently dress himself with anything that had, had zippers or buttons in it. And he went into school with his head held so high um, and really from a pair of jeans. And that moment, truly opened my eyes to the fact that if Oliver was struggling with this at eight years old, how in the world did the 1 billion people on our planet who have identified as having a disability, how they were managing clothing challenges. So this was back in 2014 and I decided to take my background and have a small goal of changing the fashion industry to be inclusive of people with disabilities and Runway of Dreams was born. I'm excited to say that through a lot of research and um, hard work that we spent with doing research and focus groups and surveys with people with all different types of disabilities, we were able to come up with modifications that could be implemented into mainstream clothing. And in 2016, we partnered with Tommy Hilfiger 
to develop the first ever mainstream adaptive clothing line for kids, which now um, has blossomed into Tommy Adaptive, which is available for both kids and adults. And we work with Zappos and their Zappos Adaptive platform, Kohl's and Stride Ride and Target. And Nike has been on our runways. And really Runway of Dreams has, has solidly embedded itself into the fashion industry to be able to have brands understand who people with disabilities are, the spending power of this population, um, as well as some very important programs that we provide to the population of wardrobe grants um, so that people can purchase new adaptive clothing, even if they you know, aren't able to afford it on their own, we provide grants to help that um, we work very much with the next generation of designers um, by providing scholarship programs and really, of course, by spreading awareness to the need of adaptive through our runway shows um, that we do both in New York during Fashion Week as well as a new city every year. But what really ultimately happened um, in the formation of Runway Dreams was that other brands and even other industries started reaching out to Runway Dreams to bridge the gap of having people with disabilities in their ad campaigns or their commercials or even in the entertainment industry or developing product. And I realized if they were reaching out to Runway Dreams for these asks, then that must mean there's another hole in the market because it's really not what Runway of Dreams did. So in 2019, we launched Gamut Management, which is a talent management company exclusively for people with disabilities. Mm. Oh my goodness. Well, I would love to say I have literally chills from head to toe from the story you just told about Oliver and his first pair of jeans. Oh, thank you. It, it, still, uh, it still provides chills for me as well as it was such a profound moment in his little yes. life that yeah. was as as I mentioned as a mom and uh, as somebody in the fashion industry it was it just was a calling so to speak yeah. absolutely it just reminds me I always think about how you know clothes are a symbol for something else you know that pair of jeans symbolized that he could be like everyone else and enjoy absolutely. you know things so I just think it's magnificent well, thank you. Yes, and Mindy, I went live on Instagram with Cheyenne Leonard this week, and she shared that she was living in Las Vegas, and she had applied for graduate school, and she was kind of thinking, mm, should I really move to New York? Should I pursue this? living an independent life in a city that isn't necessarily super accessible because she's a wheelchair user, and she said that she applied for Runway of Dreams and she got to be a part of it and what yeah. it did for her confidence. I mean, I really think obviously it, it changed her life and she knew that she would move to New York and she knew that was the right decision and all of that. So, well, I am so thrilled to hear that because she's spectacular and she really deserved to shine on the runway. And also actually she just joined cabinet management as well. So we're so excited to have her. Oh my gosh, she is so beautiful and fabulous. Yeah. And one thing 
I feel like our adaptive fashion journey really, it kind of started at the end of 2020, but it really started in 2021 and in business. And we're going to talk about this later. Being an entrepreneur is so hard, but the, the immediate impact when you're a business owner, you know, you make a strategy, a decision, it could take five to 10 years for you to see the impact of that and, and how it comes to fruition. But just one conversation with someone in the disability community, it's just life-changing, I feel like, for both parties. I couldn't agree more. And that is something that, you know, we really <clears throat> utilize as part of our building blocks is one conversation can change the world. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I had a designer in town the last few days, she comes to Birmingham twice a year to work with my clients. And I have several clients who are breast cancer survivors. And one of them yesterday was talking to her and she said, I need you to make me a camisole that has a shelf bra in it, you know, for, for, for reasons that, you know, work for breast cancer survivors, why she would want that and how she can't find that anywhere, anywhere anymore. She said, there is something that sort of works from express that you have to order online. But the designer was saying, I'm happy to do it for you, but it's going to have to, it's going to cost a lot of money because I'm going to have to create this one-off piece. And we were saying we have a lot of women that would, would want it, you know, once you had to, you know, create the, the pattern or the sample or whatever. And then I started talking to her about adaptive fashion. And I said, it's time, you know, it's not if you're going to do this, Carolina, it's when. So you really need to start thinking about this. Um, you know, the pieces that you have that can easily be adapted to work for the adaptive fashion community and all these conversations that I'm starting to have with people are through Delia and her journey and learning about all of you. So it's, um, it just trickles out everywhere. It really does. And I think that's a really important piece that it will be a mandate. There's no question about it, that the population will demand that the industry really starts understanding the size and scope and spending power of right. the population. So it, it, and this is something that we talk about often that it really benefits designers and brands to start wow. including this. It's a business opportunity. It's, it's a revenue stream. It's catering to the largest minority on the planet is going to equate in, in dollars. And it is not <clears throat> something that is a, an, ish, an initiative it's a business opportunity. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And I think it elevates the brand to the next level. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. And so this leads perfectly into the next question, which Mindy, you are a super expert on. What is the potential of the adaptive fashion space? I love how you said, you know, it's the next plus size, for example. Absolutely. And, and that is a um, really something that we modeled after when, <clears throat> excuse me, we started working on the business plan and really um, put some hot, hard data behind it that plus size really um, <clears throat> is a, a part of the population that the market did eventually reveal itself in the, in the spending power, the you know, size of the market, et cetera. 
And to think that, I think it's estimated that um, the plus size market is about $70 billion. And of recent um, articles that have been written about adaptive, that's estimated at almost $300 billion wow. by 2024, 25. So the, the size and scope of this far exceeds any other, um, you know, kind of division with the fashion industry. Because when you think about it, people with disabilities are in, embedded in every minority out there. Mm-hmm. And when you put that all together, of course, it's the largest minority. There are people with disabilities in, you know, the plus size market, the petite market, the African-American market, the mature, you know, all of that. Yeah. And so therefore it only makes sense. And of course it's it's the largest um, minority. So it really, again, only benefits brands and designers to get involved. And especially because every single person on this planet will be a part of the population of people with disabilities, whether that's just getting old at some yeah. point in life. So it's just common sense to get involved. Yeah. It makes me think of like sustainability. You know, it was a whisper. It was, it was, you know, now it's like, it's out, it's out of the box. You have to join in. And this is the way I think adaptive fashion will be too. Agreed. You know, Um, what has adaptive fashion meant to Oliver? I know we've touched on this. I think um, I can sum it up, obviously, from uh, now he's almost he's he is 16, almost 17. So, you know, the transformation that I've seen um, from, you know, even when he was eight until now, it has uh, really reshaped how he feels in his own skin. And I mean that not only from, you know, really exposing him to being a part of a population when in the beginning, I know he felt very alone in that he didn't know anybody else that had muscular dystrophy. We didn't know anybody else that had muscular dystrophy or even any other types of disabilities. So really involving him in both Runway Dreams and Gamut, it has given him a place that he feels comfortable in. Um, It has given him a community that understands more than my husband and I certainly can, or Oliver's siblings, what it's uh-huh. like to be in his shoes. Um, and that's a, a, a true gift. And it has allowed him to really express who he is um, through clothing. Um, and, uh, you know, I'd love to encourage people to see our most recent show that we did in Miami, which is on YouTube right now. And Oliver actually um, was on the runway. He, uh, and, you know, kind of announced me and just to see how comfortable he was being in public, talking publicly about having a disability down to, you know, the outfit that he was wearing was all him, that he really felt strongly about, you know, styling himself was a testament to what this whole journey has done for him um, and others. And, and certainly Cheyenne, as you mentioned, you just spoke to, it's clothing can equal confidence and self-esteem and putting yourself out there. 
um, is, is a gift that I feel is the greatest one we could have ever given him. That's amazing. I mean, literally he is the expert. He is the expert. Yeah. He is the expert. I mean, you have an inside, um, you know, eye to it that, um, most, a lot of people, even that start the, into the adaptive fashion space. Absolutely. Well, He's my yeah. built-in focus group that I, yeah. I say. he lets me know very quickly what's working, what isn't working. That's <laughs> so fabulous. I know. I feel like during COVID, we knew it before without it being a conscious thing, really understanding the power that fashion has in terms of self-expression, self-worth, all of these things. And so I'm really excited at this opportunity for adaptive fashion for more people to be able to express themselves and find clothes that work for their bodies so that they can partake in this too. So we want, we, our audience, definitely, we have a lot of designers and we don't want to overwhelm them. Like for example, getting into sustainability, that could be very overwhelming. So what are some ways, there are so many different ways to go about this, that designers can be more inclusive. Well, and, and I definitely applaud you both for really making this you know, in, in an important conversation, because that's, again, how we spoke about in the beginning, a, a real first step. And so even just starting with understanding the population, who people with disabilities are, the fact that they are not a niche market, they are an enormous market. And it, it really does, um, you know, span different ages, ethnicities, all of that. So understanding the opportunity first and foremost and it can start very simply it does not have to be a a huge lift um in you know how how to even start it could be as simple as understanding that let's take for example the um limb difference market so that's somebody that you know the their limbs whether that's their digits or arms or legs that are not um you know in in typical form Mm -hmm. but somebody uh that has a limb difference usually can wear um typical clothing uh they have figured it out they've learned how to dress themselves with either one arm or if they're missing you know have a a lower limb difference Mm -hmm. they're able to you know generally wear typical clothing however they will need you know, easier ways to to dress, whether that's, you know, something that has a closure that's a little bit easier to manage and Mm -hmm. or, you know, is a wider leg that can fit over prosthetic, all of that. It's understanding that that you could have clients that are have bodies that are shaped differently, but could still wear typical clothing and or clients that really do need adaptive clothing. And fortunately now there are designers and brands that are, you know, in the space, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I would, I love to just frame it up that it is truly expanding your customer base. It's not excluding anybody it's including. So when you start thinking about product lines, really think through, okay, how, how can I include more people? All right, well, maybe it's making my closures, utilizing magnets or, 
um, Velcro or thinking through how product gets on and off the body um, are, are ways that are just, again, expanding your customer base. Absolutely. The magnets and the Velcro and this, mm. those things are not that, you know, those wouldn't be that major to, to incorporate, right? You know, you know what? it's it's not even uh, I uh, yes agreed. I mean, with magnets, it's a little trickier because there, you know, there could be some licensing um, for yeah. those you know magnet manufacturers who really develop them for um, clothing products. Mm -hmm. But it's also thinking about even from the public eye, start having people with disabilities in your ad campaigns and making sure that they're using product, your product lines that really do work for them. It's not, you know, you do have to be authentic that it's not just putting somebody in a wheelchair in your ad campaign uh, and, yeah. you know, modifying your, your, you know, products to make it work for that campaign, really dress them in product that does authentically work for them. Mm -hmm. um, and that, you know, the, the public eye is really, really helpful in how you know that is the sign to the population that okay this brand may have something that works for me i see somebody in a wheelchair in that campaign and and it looks like the the product as i'm looking on the website would actually work for me because it is elastic has an elastic waistband that is adjustable or because the you know that has a wider neck and it's easier for me to get on and off my body Things mm -hmm. like that, those details really are important signals to the population that you are in the game. Right. And if it is coming from an authentic place, it also tells the, you know, the, the pop population at large that you are, are doing this. And it would, Absolutely. I would be like, it would make more um, build loyalty and admiration for the brand. No question. Loyalty so being first and foremost, yeah. because, and, and, you know, this is a, a wonderful, you know, thing that I can speak to both personally and professionally mm -hmm. that, you know, I am loyal to brands that are loyal, to, that are allow me to um, shop for my entire family, not right. just everybody, except for Oliver. It sure. really does, you know, run the gamut, hence the name of, of gamut that I am able to really purchase for my whole family. I am absolutely going to be loyal to that brand. Mm -hmm. Who do you think is doing it right, right now in terms of adaptive fashion? I think from the mainstream perspective, um, obviously the, the, the brands that I mentioned prior, Tommy Hilfiger and their Tommy Adaptive, collection. I think Zappos Adaptive is doing an amazing job in curating products that work for people with disabilities. Target, Kohl's, StrideRite, Nike with their the Flyies sneaker. They oh, yeah. are all doing it right because they are including um, people with disabilities into the design process. And mm -hmm. that is critically important to kind of go back a step and answer you know how brands and designers can really get involved in this space it's by really including people with disabilities into right. every step of the 
value chain. And that's really what Gamut does. We take our Gamut talent um, and we, you know, that we don't use them just for filling roles in the entertainment industry. Gamut voices and, and clients are used in developing product, whether that's, you know, filling uh, uh, a, um, you know, being a part of a focus group or a survey or testing product. We, you know, we provide opportunities for brands to really, really, um, you know, do this in an authentic way. So does that mean if there is a designer that is interested or brand that's interested in, you know, beginning the process, but they don't know exactly where to start, how they would, they would need someone, you know, with a disability to help them walk through what, what they would need. You could provide that. Yes. That's, that's one of the um, opportunities that we provide. Okay. That's great. That's terrific. And another, yeah, another way that designers and companies can be more inclusive is to hire people with disabilities. Isn't it that 80% of people with disabilities are unemployed? Oh, no. Yes, that's accurate. Um, and look, when you think about, you know, some of the barriers that, that cause that right. percentage, some of them we've realized due to the pandemic really can, you know, be eliminated. Hence, you know, the, the struggles of getting to an office, so transportation, uh, um, you know, managing an office space that isn't adapted is no longer an issue. Because as we've learned, you can work virtually. You, companies are doing it very, very well. And that I hope is the silver lining for people with disabilities in the workforce is that we've all learned people can work from anywhere. Right. That's right. That's that's great. So even if they, even if it were an office space that isn't uh, so easy to get into, they they could work from home just as easily. Absolutely. Yeah. And still be part of it. Okay, that's great. Yes, and the disability community is going to be such an incredible pool of talent because they are the great life hackers. I mean, they are creative. They're going to come with so many, they're just going to be so beneficial to any business. So I really hope because as society opens and new jobs are created and need to be filled, hopefully this could be a great group of people to, to consider hiring. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, when you think about it, people with disabilities are natural innovators because they have to navigate a world that wasn't made for them. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great way to look at it. Mm -hmm. And then also a lot of the things in terms of adaptive, it's better for everyone. These innovations, like what is yes. it with the button? When was the button created? Yes, I, I do love that one. That I, I love to put that zinger out there, that the button and buttonhole was developed in the 13th century. And the fact that we are using that quote <laughs> technology in today's right. day and age is absurdity. And so that's why, you know, it is beneficial for brands to th be, to think about the technologies that we have out there now. There's gotta be a better way to close a garment than a button and a buttonhole, which, you know, alleviate, that really does restrict a very big part of the population 
from you from being able to wear mainstream clothing. So yes, we're using Velcro. Yes, we're using magnets. But come on, let's get let's go forward thinking. Let's think about the next magnet, so mm -hmm. to speak. Mm -hmm. Yes, I mean buttons are literally a nightmare for anyone. It takes so long exactly. to exactly. Right. I would never wear a button down shirt because it's going to take me 10 minutes to like button up. <laughs> it's just not a pleasant process. So Mindy, what does style mean to you? Style has always been um, very embedded in my life, even as a little girl, that it, I just instinctually felt that it was my identifier to the world um, and that it allowed me to be creative in how I wanted to show up. I mean, even during the pandemic that, you know, even today, for example, I am probably not seeing very many people outside of my family. Right. Um, and I am dressed to the nines because <laughs> it is, it's, it makes me feel good. Yes. And, I, and, and truly during, you know, quarantine, when, you know, it was very easy to be able to stay in my pajamas, you know, every day. I think that lasted about a minute for me. It right. really started affecting my psyche that it's, I felt like I didn't accomplish as much during the day. And the second that I was like, well, what am I doing? I, who says I can't still get dressed up? Like I'm going into the city and, right. I, and I maintained that. And it was an immediate transformation that I started feeling so much better. I felt like I was accomplishing more um, and it is it is a it is a proven psychological effect um, on your body, and it's actually called enclosed cognition. That right. what you wear does directly affect how you feel. Exactly, we do um, group discussions with um, communities about enclosed cognition. Yes, it, it's so true. And the story that I think about a lot is the mom when she came into the kitchen after a couple of weeks of lockdown and she hadn't washed her hair and she was in her sweats and she was overwhelmed. And the message that it sent to her family was that things were very, very wrong in the yeah. world. But if she comes in looking like mom, um, they feel like, okay, we're good here. Everything's fine. And she also feels like she can take on any, anything that comes her way. So it makes sense. It translates well to the uh, disability community too. Yeah. It yeah. does it the same way for them. Yes, absolutely. All right, so what are some of the things that you've learned from the disability community? To be honest, I, I, I think I learn something every day, mm -hmm. um, but I would say overall, there is not a week that goes by that I don't meet or Zoom with or have exchanged with someone that um, has a disability that is so comfortable in their own skin and who they are and are so joyous and positive and grateful for their life. Um, that it is a constant reminder that I, I always say that I wish like our mainstream world could get a, a more insight on mm -hmm. what this population, if anybody has a right to complain, 
I have met many of them mm-hmm. and they are so unbelievably positive and comfortable and feel good about themselves and would not change anything. That's what I love more than anything. If, if they you kind of got three wishes from rubbing a, a genie's bottle, mm-hmm. I would venture to say not one of them would be to change that they have a disability. And wow. I think that is so profound and so important that it, it, it's, it's something that we all need to learn from. I learn it from Oliver every day. This kid endures so much on from the minute he gets out of bed, just even the right. physicality of getting out of bed is a challenge. And he takes on that day better than, than anybody that I know. And that is, that is a constant inspiration and something that I, you know, take with me on a daily that I, I learned from this population. And I used to really, um, when Oliver was first diagnosed, um, it was really challenging and, and still is. Look, I am a mom and it is very difficult to see your child struggle, whether, sure. you know, in, in any way, both with my other children too. Of but course. in this case, it's a daily struggle for him. And yes. I used to really take offense a bit when people would say to me, God gives you what you can handle. And you're, right. you know, this is, it was, a, it's a gift. And, blah, blah, blah. and right. I used, in my head, it would say, you know, I would say, oh, thank you. But in my yeah. head, I would be like, are you kidding me? Right, no, you try no. it. <laughs> No, thank you. And now I truly understand what they are were saying. I am grateful every day that Oliver came into our life and in exactly the form that he came into our life because he has given us a gift of a lifetime that, you know, to really appreciate things that I never really appreciated before. Um, and just the notion of exposing us to this unbelievable population. And I, I feel grateful for it every day. That's amazing. Like you want to give to the able-bodied community, the, the, the joyousness and the positivity coming from the disabled community, which you you would, it would be the opposite. Exactly. So well said. It is truly the opposite of what anybody would probably instinctually think of mm-hmm. yeah we feel sorry for you not the other way around yes i know i was talking to estella lugo yesterday on instagram live and we were kind of deciding like the disability community on a whole might be a lot happier i mean mental health we are in such a terrible place there are so many mm-hmm. able-bodied people that are just not doing well mm-hmm. agreed So we mentioned the button before. What are some technological advances in fashion are you excited about? I think I'm so excited about just the marriage, so to speak, between technology and fashion. Um, It is, you know, a a recipe for success for the world of adaptive um, and, and those two entities coming together. And I think you know, through even fabrications, um, wearable technologies, uh, really kind of rethinking the way that things have been typically done in terms of the design process and um, all of that. And, and, and even um, sizing 
um, and being able to scan people's bodies so that sizing mm -hmm. is more accurate is so exciting um, to me and, and certainly in the adaptive space. And just really seeing that all come together is, is what is going to make adaptive even more successful. That's fabulous. I hadn't even thought about the, the sizing through scanning. That makes yeah. perfect, perfect yeah. sense because it's probably just tweaks too. You know, like you said, the jeans leg being a little wider, those kinds of things. It's all wonderful. Okay. Any inclusive terms we should know about or be using instead of other words? Thank you for asking that. Um, as that is, you know, the vernacular is really important as well. Right. And it's, it can be very polarizing. Um, even within the population, there's some very strong thoughts about how they want mm -hmm. to be referred to. Mm -hmm. I have found that the path of least resistance um, is identifying the person first. So, <clears throat> you know, a, a person with a disability, the population of people with disabilities versus the disabled population, as people are people first. And, and really acknowledging that um, is really important. Um, I, I think that we need to really start thinking from a, a global perspective, and this is a big lift, I understand that, but the word handicapped is so um, really offensive to many people in the population as, the, the origination of that world is that um, people with disabilities way back when were only thought of as the best thing that they could do was to be beggars and to put their oh. cap in their hand and beg on the streets. And that's really where the word handicapped, handicap, cap in hand came oh, from. No. So it's really something that I think we, can do our best to start moving away from. I, I, I applaud the LGBTQ, I think I'm saying that. You're right. Probably, uh, um, well, that they have done that so well in you know pronouns and identifying how you wanna be um, you know, treated, how, what, what label you would like to have. And I even seeing it in, in bathrooms and, and identifying that it's, all gender rather than women and men. I think we can do the same thing in the in the disability world and really rethinking mm -hmm. what that word is, what the symbol is, all of that. I mean, obviously that's something that we, you know, need to work on for quite some time, but the more that we can talk about it and really have people understand where that word came from, I yes. think will help you know, rethink of what is a better way to communicate this population. That makes perfect sense. I was just thinking about the handicapped entrance. Basically, you're saying the beggar's entrance. You know, that doesn't that doesn't make sense. So that education is so important. And I feel like it's taken, you know, the LGBT. I'm the same way with you. It's too many letters for my brain at my age. But um, it's taken a while for that to finally, you know, these things take a while. But they can certainly be achieved. Yes, agreed. I, I couldn't agree more. Being an entrepreneur is really hard. Any advice for staying strong and positive during the lows? 
Um, it is very hard. And, and I think that it's, you know, one of those notions that if it was easy, everybody would be an entrepreneur. Um, <laughs> but I, I think they, what I want to say is, is twofold. First and foremost, I have really learned that there's no such thing as failure. Failure can be renamed as feedback. And when you think about it from that perspective, that if something isn't going the way that you felt it should have, or the response wasn't exactly what you thought it would be, that's not failure. That's, that's a message to you that is feedback saying you need to find another way, another path, another approach. And when you look at it from that perspective, it, it helps with the, 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 the lows in that it doesn't look, it never feels good to be so passionate and excited about the way that you are, your plan about um, achieving a goal is not mm -hmm. working out. Um, take that step back, focus on what the goal is and think about another way to get there. Just mm -hmm. another path, another avenue. Um, for example, when I first launched Runway of Dreams back in 2014, it was a for-profit. I didn't know anything about the nonprofit world. And if anything, I felt very strongly that I did not want the population to always be pigeonholed into the nonprofit world. Right. So um, I was almost adamant about not, um, not having this be a nonprofit. But right. when I constantly was given, quote, feedback, from brands that were saying, oh, we can't take a financial risk on something that has never been done before. There mm. must be a reason why no mainstream brands have ever done adaptive. Um, there, there has to be a reason and we're not willing to take that financial risk. Mm -hmm. So when I constantly hear that, I had to take that step back and say, what is my goal? My goal is to change the fashion industry to be inclusive with, of people with disabilities. Okay. Mm -hmm my path wasn't working. So if I thought about becoming a nonprofit, then I was, you know, really kind of taking the financial risk off the table mm -hmm. as if I was completely wrong in my, my thought process of this market being as big and lucrative as I, as, as I believed it was, mm -hmm. then anybody that went on this journey with us would get a tax donation right off. And this would be considered a, a, a donation. And that was really the avenue that led me to the success of where we are today, because that ultimately what is what led brands to see that this was a huge market and a very viable market. Mm -hmm. And yes, it wasn't how I envisioned it to be in the beginning, but it is what led us to where we are today. That's great. And it's kind of, if you're patient enough, when you look back, you'll understand it. Well, it had to be this way. So I love that failure can be renamed as feedback. Yes. Oh my goodness. I know that is such a huge takeaway and we are very thrilled and thankful that you were able to stick it out. Even as you approached any and all no's, it can be hard to have the no's, but we are yeah. glad that you 
Check it out. Let's talk about the meaning behind dressing independently for the disability community. There was a an article I found where it was talking, can you imagine that I'm 15 years old and this is the first time that I've been able to dress myself? Absolutely. And, and that was a very big moment in my life as well. Um, as that young man who was 15 at the time, oh my gosh, I bet he's like 20 or 21 now, um, was in a wheelchair. His name was Liam. I'll never forget it. And when he looked at me and, you know, shared with me that it was putting on that shirt that had uh, magnets in the front rather than him having to do a button buttonhole, which he was not able to do. Um, and seeing him dress himself for the first time ever was, um, it, you know, still to this day, almost unimaginable to uh -huh. be there to witness something that we have all taken for granted, myself included, that you just get up in the morning and you get dressed. You, uh -huh. Before you go to bed at night, you get undressed. It's, uh -huh. it's, it's a rite of passage. It's what we do. And to think about the amount of people out there that don't have that rite of passage, that it is impossible for them to do, is in many ways a bit degrading. And, mm -hmm. and I say that for, um, for example, those that you know experience disability during their lifetime. They had an accident, they had a surgery that mm -hmm. You know, they weren't able to dress themselves anymore. Um, and that can be really, really difficult and degrading and, you know, hard to manage through that you are an able-bodied, functioning, self-dressing person one day and the next day you can't even put on your shirt anymore because you're not able to do a buttons. Um, it's something that does really um, affect your self-esteem um, and your confidence. And independent dressing is something that very much leads, you know, is a is a direct line to feeling as, as good mm -hmm. as you can feel. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's true. And I feel like maybe you have ideas about how to fix healthcare, but it's like, okay, this, maybe you've just had an injury or something like if, that, as you're saying, is so degrading. If it could be this, okay, this exciting thing, nice people come in. These are some great brands. You know, maybe you're not going to be able to do the buttons anymore, but this is a fabulous option. It's not that different than how you yeah. dressed before. If it was approached in that way, instead of like, okay, now you're going to be wearing sweatpants and your whole life absolutely. is changed. And it's, someone's going to be putting them on you. Absolutely. And, and uh, to your point and story, earlier about the mom that, right. you know, was, was in sweatpants and, you know, unkept. It's right. a signal. It is absolutely a signal. And it is yeah. really difficult for, for a big part of this population. Yes. Delia, who was the, um, the man that we spoke to? He had, he had a diving accident mainly, and he had sort of been known as this super cool surfer. Well, yeah, it was from the CFDA, one of the panels. Marty, is that who you're talking about? Oh, yeah, Marty. Yeah. yeah. So his yeah. whole identity had been kind of wrapped up in his super cool look. You know, he was a surfer dude. Yeah. Exactly. So and, and he's a perfect example, as Marty 
um, is not able to dress himself and nor will ever be because he is um, is not able to use his arms or legs and right. really is, is paralyzed from the neck down. But, right. you know, his style can still Absolutely. be super cool. Um, and that is, yes, thank you for bringing him up because he's an absolute perfect example of how, you know, his life changed in, a, in an instant, but that doesn't mean that his style and his identity to the world has to change. Exactly, exactly. And how that signals to your brain too. Without a doubt. Serious things have happened here, but I still see me in the mirror. Yes, exactly. Thank you, Mindy, so much for coming on. Do you, where can people find you? How can we support all of your businesses? Thank you so much. And thank you so much for having me and for shining a light on this is so critically important. Um, your viewers can go or listeners can go to runwayofdreams.org to find more out about uh, Runway of Dreams and our foundation initiatives, as well as gametmanagement.com. Um, if anybody wants to join Gamut and be a client, uh, the only requirement we have is that you have to have a disability. Um, and for any brands or designers out there that really want to get into the adaptive space, we also welcome you to go to Gamut Management to find out how to start. Great. Thank you well, so thank much. Yes, Thank we'll see you, you next time, everyone. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning into this episode on the Style That Finds Us podcast. If you like this podcast, make sure to tell a friend and subscribe. You can be a part of growing with us. Also, do you know about our weekly newsletter? You'll get access to exclusive content in our newsletter that we don't post anywhere else. Our newsletter comes out every Tuesday with the exception of the third Thursday of the month for Allison's special Celebrating Life After 40 edition. Head to the bottom of the Style That Binds Us website to subscribe.